during the start of the lockdown when people couldn't travel more than two kilometres from their houses. We had more listeners than ever because they realised, oh, the, the college radio station is one of the few things that could keep going. Everything else was closed down, but we were recording news bulletins. We're doing stuff live from our kitchen. I'm doing this live from my kitchen right now. So that's that's a huge thing that college radio stations have. Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul rees Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here. And I'm Jennifer Waits. And today we're here to celebrate an anniversary, a birthday of sorts, and it should be a lot of fun. We get to talk with some folks at, at one of our affiliate stations. It is the furthest away from any of our abodes here on the West Coast of the United States. We're, uh, we're going to go virtually to Galway, Ireland. And we're very happy to welcome from the National University of Ireland, Galway, and Flirt FM, we have Paula Healy, who is the station manager of Flirt FM. Welcome, Paula. Thank you so much. And I'm amazed that you don't have your station in Antarctica that you visited before <laughs> broadcasting, or I don't know which is further. Yes, uh, probably probably Antarctica. I don't know. Not not a great geographer, uh, but if only we, we could have them on as a... Uh, as an affiliate. And, and we also welcome uh, the founder of Flirt FM, as well as a lecturer in English and Media Studies at NUI Galway, Andrew O'Boyle. Hi, uh, glad to be here. Very, very excited. We are celebrating the 25th anniversary of Flirt FM, which is the community and, and university station there at the university in Galway. And just about a week ago, I had the distinct pleasure of talking with Andrew on the air there at Flirt FM as part of your 25th anniversary marathon. And so it's really nice to be able to speak with you again uh, so quickly. Andrew and I attended graduate school together for a time. He finished. I did not. At the University of Illinois Institute of, of uh, Communications Research. Uh, and so it's nice always to uh, to catch up. And Jennifer has uh, had the opportunity to tour Flirt FM and has written that up at Radio Survivor. So we will definitely put that into our show notes. To start off here, Paula, can you tell us a little bit about Flirt FM? Uh, what kind of station is it uh, and, and, and what kind of programming does it feature? Okay, well, we're a community of interest station where you'd have uh, maybe 21 community radio stations, but of those stations, only four of them would be considered community of interest. There's ourselves, Ward FM in Limerick. There's UCC 98.3. Actually, there's five. There's Life FM, which is a religious station in Cork, and then there is Radio and Liffa in Dublin, which is an Irish language-only station. So we're kind of like the little stations that are a bit more niche. So um, I think the biggest thing about the station is that we are open to as many people as possible to come in. Uh, we just try and train in as, as many people as we can physically fit in. These days you can't physically fit in anybody, so that's going to be a challenge. But as for programming, the moment we are running a schedule that runs from half 11 in the morning to 4 a.m., that's weekdays, and then 1 p.m. to 10 p.m. at weekends. If that seems like the hours are a little bit strange, that's because we're beholden to the Broadcasting Authority and our programme policy statement. We have to do 20% of our talk has to be current affairs, and we have to do a certain number of news bulletins. So if we go longer, we need somebody sitting there doing the news for longer and you know making more current affairs, which, as every station knows, current affairs is the most time-consuming and the most difficult. So, um, yeah, so we, we kick off with a bit of news, and then we do magazine shows. We've got a flagship news show at 5pm every day, which is actually broadcasting right now. And then after that, we move into something called the Happy Hour, which is two hours long. 
Um, I guess that's how long it lasts in bars as well. And then we go into specialist music nights where Monday is a bit of metal. There's also some J-pop and some psychedelic. Uh, Tuesday is indie and alternative. Wednesday we call left field because it is quite frankly anything as long as it's a bit weird. Thursday is soul and dance. And Friday night is some Irish language, some trad, some jazz, bit all over the place. And then on Saturdays, it's kind of an omnibus where we do some sports shows and stuff. So we've ha- we'll have people on from uh, transition year students, which would be a kind of a, a gap year in secondary school. So they might start off in the station when they're 16. And I don't want to say how old the oldest person is because, you know, he might kill me. But they're definitely, you know, 50s, 60s. And occasionally I think we've had people in, in their 70s. So it spans a lot. So you've got both students at the university involved as well as volunteers in the community then? Some volunteers from the community, what we'd say is we have to give spaces to students first and foremost. So if students apply until we fill up all the spaces and then after that, if we've got spaces left, we'll give them to members of the community, particularly if they if the members of the community want to do stuff in if they want to do it in Irish, if they want to do current affairs, if they want to do something that students are not always 100 percent psyched for. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely invite members of the community in too. And just looking back over the last couple of years, we on average will interview 600 community groups a year as well. You know, just our community actors or individuals or however it might be. So there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this setup sounds, I mean, should sound familiar to folks who are sort of familiar with uh, community and college radio in the United States. Uh, You know, as Jennifer can attest, uh, there are many college stations that also, you know, really do this sort of community service model and kind of split it up, you know, have volunteers in the community who supplement uh, the students as well. What's interesting to me, though, is you noted that I guess it's it's your – Telecom Regulatory Authority, uh, you know, requires that you broadcast uh, 20% public affairs programming, right? Did I get that correct? Yeah, 20% of your talk has to be current affairs. Now, you can actually decide what your your equivalent of current affairs is, because what's current affairs for one radio station is not the same, depending on your cohort. But yeah, pretty much. So the longer you keep going, the more current affairs you have to do. So that is why I'm not particularly keen on running the 24-7 schedule that we were over lockdown. Um, Yeah, if I ever want to sleep again we won't be going back to that too soon and paula so paula how do you define public affairs what sort of programming do you air um so we'll do things like community community listings guides straight up like announcements what's going on in the community diary we'll do news bulletins um we have a talk show where we interview people about current affairs um every day at five then um Probably four news bulletins, then we'll have some sports bulletins as well. And it just we there's also another caveat that you need to have two hours of current affairs between seven AM and seven PM. But the funny thing about that is even if we went on air at six PM, we'd still need to fit two hours of current affairs into one hour. It's just the way it works. So you know, that's peak time for uh, for for other stations, I guess. So um, any other cur- current affairs, we do like arts coverage as well when we have somebody who wants to do arts. And um, sometimes we'll have global shows. Sometimes we'll have po- politics specific shows, um, lifestyle shows. And then there might be other entertainments, arts, kind of Formula One, wrestling. You never you never know what people are going to come in and want to do in a given year. And you mentioned that you have uh, your station is called a community of interest station. There's five of those in Ireland. Is this a requirement of all of those stations, this 20 percent current affairs? Oh, not even the five um, community of interest stations is actually a requirement for pretty much every 
radio broadcaster in the country, I think. There might be some commercial youth stations that don't need to do it or they don't seem to have very much current affairs. But I think it's pretty much the same across the board. Andrew can correct me on this one, but I think it's every broadcaster. Yeah, yeah. Th- this was something, it's a, it's a legislative requirement or it was introduced originally as a legislative requirement in the late 80s. We we had in, in Ireland until uh, 88, 89, uh, the only licensed broadcaster, almost the only licensed broadcaster uh, was... Uh, was the state broadcaster, state-owned broadcaster, a public service broadcaster, similar to what American listeners would know as as NPR. Um, and when when uh, independent broadcasting was being introduced, uh, there there were fears of uh, of um, of capture of of the of the public resource that was uh, the airwaves. Uh, some people described uh, broadcasting licenses as being. Uh, as being licenses to print money, um, the specific instance where that was uh, mentioned, uh, that broadcaster actually went bankrupt very quickly. But most other broadcasters have retained their licenses and are uh, close to monopolies in their in their jurisdiction since. Um, and there was also this con- this concern that you you were moving from a public service model to largely a commercial model, and so uh, one of the things put into the into the licensing uh, legislation in eighty eight and 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 ninety uh, was that there be this uh, two hour block and this twenty percent requirement uh, for all broadcasters, and so initially that was something that was uh, that. Uh, that commercial broadcasters were were subject to uh, when they came about in, the, in around about 1990, and then later when uh, uh, community and community of interest broadcasters uh, came in, of course they had the same um, the same uh, requirement. As as Paula notes, the definition is a matter for interpretation at the local level, and then for should we say negotiation between the the broadcaster and the and the licensing authority if the licensing authority doesn't you know doesn't wreck you know do, do, believes you're you're messing about uh, they they can and pull you off on that in fairness like the radio stations always tried very very hard to make sure that we do that and we we um, mm-hmm. you know don't take the mickey but also as well um we set it out in our program policy statement, which is part of the 75 page document that we had to file in 2000 and was it 2016 for the new license. So I'm like, I never finished college. I just I ran away screaming because why did I pick archaeology? <laughs> but I feel like I've written my thesis. I definitely have. There's annotations, there's footnotes, there's like appendices, there's a there's a title page. I think I've done it. So yeah, that was a huge part of it. So you have to set out what your requirements are in the beginning. You have to decide, you know, how many hours of sports you'll do, what kind of community groups you'll engage with, wh- whether you'll have youth shows. And then the other one as well is to have uh, 20% Irish music as well, which is hugely important. And that's something that most stations will have um, a requirement to do whether some do it or some don't and whether it might be the same five songs they keep playing definitely mm-hmm. not in our case hopefully anyway right and I, our friends uh, to the great white north will will be familiar with such a requirement uh, in canada they do have a canadian uh, content requirement as well for their broadcast stations yeah, I suppose it's uh, French-speaking countries seem to love saying, you know, um, support uh, support local artists or support national artists. I do get it, though, because there's a huge amount of phenomenal talent and we've been doing our best to support new and alternative and strange and odd and won't airplay anywhere else. Bands will say, I'll never, you know, you're never going to hear this song in the middle of the day. And I'm like, oh, 
wait, hold my coffee. We're playing it right now, you know. So that's part of what we do, I think, is just um, make sure that we're doing as much as we can to support um, local artists, but also not the ones you're going to get everywhere. You know, not your man from One Direction and U2 and um, the Cranberries. You will get those in other stations, but we're playing the stuff that might be a little bit, it'll take a, a little bit longer to get used to it, I think. Paula, how do you, so you mentioned this massive document you had to file with the government. How do you keep track of you know, if if you need to be playing a certain number, certain percentage of artists from Ireland, how do you keep track of that? Do you have to literally keep track of every song you play? Um, in its own way, yeah. If they come to audit us, we will have to go through song by song and figure out what each of them are. And that's why I probably spend a good 10 hours a month just going through Irish music and making it playlists. It would also be that any incidental music we play when it's station staff putting on songs in between they're always going to be Irish and they're always going to be new Irish artists and female Irish artists or female identifying Irish artists. So that's a, that's a huge thing we do. Um, so fortunately, we are usually pretty well behaved and the broadcasting authority know this, so they don't audit us too often. But when, when we do, I'll have a I'll have an Excel spreadsheet open going Irish, not Irish, Irish, not Irish, not Irish, not Irish. And then I'll see like there'll be shows. I can tell some of the shows aren't really pulling their weight on it and I'll have to be like, come on you know, we need to do this. Or if you're going to have like a Canadian music special, which we have done for Canada Day before, you're like, okay, talk to the show before you and after you and make sure that they play more Irish music to make up for when you're not. So there's the negotiations, but also I'm pretty much, I'm on top of it and I know who's doing well, who isn't. And uh, encouraging gently. We don't playlist. We have we have a playlist, but we don't playlist. It's just like it's a folder of music that you should check out. So um, it's a it's a tug between the two because you want to make sure we do things, but also they're volunteers. They're not getting paid to be there. They still have to enjoy themselves, and you can't be just like biting their heads off, going, "Okay, you're going to play these five songs," because they'll just they'll disappear after a while. Right. It won't be fun anymore. I'm I'm yeah. excited <laughs> that you mentioned female artists. Is that a station policy? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, it was a bit of a, it was an impromptu station policy. We just decided that there was an awful lot of um, bands where it was, you know, four young lads with guitars and a lot of them kind of sounded the same. Um, or maybe four not even that young lads with guitars. And there's so many more interesting female artists coming out in Ireland over the last couple of years that we just said the stuff was actually exciting us a lot more and has been for about two or three years now at this stage, uh, which is kind of funny because... Um, there was a piece of research done recently by a woman called Linda Coogan Byrne, which looked at the proportion of female artists Irish radio was playing. Now, it didn't include community radio because I'm guessing they just did, you know, didn't have the funds to actually check out another 21 stations. But um, it was looking at some of the stations. None of the top 20 was female. None of the top 20 Irish plays were female at all. Uh, RTE, the state broadcaster, did actually do quite well, was 50-50. So they'd obviously made some kind of a decision. Whereas I kind of wish that they'd reported on us because I know that we're doing a really good job. We're like 45-55, if not 50-50. So that was definitely something and it wasn't even something that I had to decide was a thing. I think the groundswell was the last couple of years that everybody else is feeling, well, the most exciting stuff is women right now. Um, like one of our favourite bands, Pillow Queens, they're about to take over the world. We love them to bits and everybody was jumping on that song as opposed to anything else from any other bands. So it just it kind of came about naturally, to be honest. And Paula Healy, you are the uh, station manager at Flirt FM, which is the uh, community and college radio station at uh, the National University of Ireland in Galway. And um, you just completed or you just celebrated your 25th anniversary on air. Uh, tell us more about uh, how you celebrated, how you shared the celebration with your listeners. 
It was so difficult because the last time was about as hands-on as you can get. There was a children's crafts table where they were finger painting. There was eight of us in a studio for two hours. We had a silent disco. I'm sure there was plenty of high fives and hugging 12 people to to a dinner table at a gala banquet. None of that could happen this time. So I just decided um, I was probably, you know, having a glass of wine. I do most of my best thinking when that happens. And I decided 25-hour live global marathon. Let's do it. Let's set up a relay and have people coming back. Because what we really wanted to do was celebrate all of the different people that have been broadcasting for the last 25 years. So we had people that had left the station six months ago and people that had, you know, started off in the station in 1995, invited them all back on. And because at the moment um, we don't have access to our building, We've been doing some shows over Zoom. We have um, a show called The Big Friday Show. Um, That's two amazing presenters uh, with intellectual um, disabilities. Um, But to be honest, they're amazing, such good broadcasters that they just get it. They're actually like naturally better broadcasters than I'd say like, you know, half of the students we get in. So they were really pushing doing their live shows. And it was just a huge highlight of the week. We used to have little dance parties off camera, you know, when when the songs were playing. So they kind of led the way for me thinking, do you know, what? we can do this. We can do this remotely. We can do this through Zoom. And then I just went, well, if we're going to do something like that through Zoom, it has to be 25 hours long. Because what's the point in having a 24 hour broadcast for um, for a 25th anniversary? So that was it. We just kind of set up um I was pretty excited when we got somebody from Vietnam and somebody from Paris and some people from um, America and somebody from Glasgow that was looking for the the really glamorous locations. The ones that are 20 or 30 miles down the road, not so much. They're still welcome, but yeah, it was pretty good. So we got a a good bit of press around it and it was a buzz and we got let back into the studio for one night only, which Mm. was very nice. But also it was kind of, it was weird. We felt like we'd never left the studios. It was exactly the same as like the Marie Celeste. Like, you know, there was like, um, I think there was like an, a chocolate bar left on top of the sound desk that somebody had never eaten and just left there and it was still good we ate it um but at the same time though nobody was coming in to visit us so it was a little bit weird it was it was nice we're like you know sitting there like looking at people while they're broadcasting to us from seattle or you know from mayo or wherever it might be so a very strange occasion but um i think it worked well it worked about as well as you could do it still felt like a celebration and i think everybody still left with really big smiles on their faces and the feedback from listeners was really really good as well and that's wonderful. How long have you been with the station, Paula? How long have you been the station manager? Um, I'd say it's probably about the 1870s. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've been there for forever. We, we know community a- radio years are, are entirely different from, you know, it's sort of like dog years in that way, right? <laughs> I started in um, NUI Goy or UCG it was called back then in 1998 and somebody who I'm still friends with Erica King was the auditor of Radio Sock and she persuaded me to join didn't take much persuading I was a radio nerd and uh, yeah 1998 I did my first show and actually the guy I did my first show with in 1998 came back on for the 25 hour broadcast and we were talking about how he remembers everything and I've forgotten everything because I've done so many hours of broadcast so um, yeah since 1998 and then I went over to Edinburgh for a couple of years and really really missed doing radio came back in 2005 and I've been working there solidly since 2005 no sign of me going anywhere because every time I don't have enough work to do I'll join another committee so I always will have enough work to do <laughs> and and you said you were a big radio nerd uh, so what, what what made you love radio? What was it that you loved about radio uh, prior to, to getting involved at Flirt FM? Um, so I wasn't probably like big on the physics because, well, I did physics for the Leaving Search, but, um, you know, I, I had to do pass because I couldn't derive a function to save my life. So not quite that way. But I'd always be listening out for like... Um, 
the music I wanted to hear that I couldn't hear anywhere else because I'm going to, you know, age myself even worse now saying, you know, you don't have Spotify or YouTube. If you wanted to hear a song, you taped it off the radio and that's the only way you got it. So I'd be sitting there waiting to press tape like a lot of people would. But I found that um, at night during the summer, when obviously the air conditions were just right, you could sometimes pick up BBC Radio 1 from London, which felt so exotic. And then in, I can't remember what year it was, but um, a radio station called Radio Ireland started up and uh, it's Today FM these days, but there was a DJ on it called Donald Deneen and I absolutely loved the stuff he played and I went, oh my God, I'd never thought. I'm like, I'd watched Chris, you know, Northern Exposure, Chris the DJ or uh, Christian Slater and pump up the volume or something like that. And then when I heard this DJ in Ireland playing this amazing music, I was kind of going, oh God, you know, maybe that's actually something that you could do. And then when I got to college and found out that you could, it blew my tiny little mind and I've been sunk ever since. Just couldn't couldn't get away from it. Well, let's turn back then to the fact that, you know, there is a Flirt FM in Galway. Uh, Andrew, you founded the station uh, back in 1995 and you were a student at the time at, at, at Galway? Mm-hmm. I was, I was. Um, I started university in 1993 um, and that was just a few years, three years after, three or four years after the first uh, commercial stations had gone on air, the first non-state uh, broadcasters. Um, and a little like uh, Paula, I, I, I'd been fascinated by radio for for a long time. Um, for me, uh, some you know some of the things that uh, that had influenced me previously were. Um, my father had been involved with a short-run project in the late 70s and early 80s uh, where Orti had decided to experiment with local radio. Now, one of the reasons that they experimented with, and what they would do was have a, a local FM opt-out out of the national uh, broadcast. Um, so you'd be listening to the national station on AM or FM, and then the FM signal would switch for two or three hours in the afternoon uh, to stuff from your town or your city or your your county. Um, and my father was involved with the experiment in Galway in, I think, 79 and, and, and 80. And I just I remembered that from my childhood, that, that amazing notion that somebody you knew could be producing the stuff that came out of uh, out of your radio um and so that notion as mm-hmm. as so many inc- people encounter as, as paula uh, mentioned as being when she comes to university and realizes you don't just have to be a, an audience member you can be the other side um and then later uh in the late 1980s um when you had the political events in in eastern europe and uh, i you know i was um involved to a certain extent with the local ham radio uh, club uh did a little bit of um i i i i didn't at that stage have my my ham license but uh, through the club i remember dxing with uh with uh, the ukraine or ukraine um and so that notion of of reaching people uh, far away but when you had that political, those political changes, uh, I was a, a shortwave radio listener, and I was listening to uh, Radio Vilnius, Radio Latvia, uh, or Lithuania, or Estonia, as the as those countries were gaining independence uh, from the USSR, and you would hear the reports uh, of the the partisans saying, you know the. 
the you know the the, the freedom loving people are on the streets and the Russians are pulling out and uh, and so um, we had this previously ourselves in the in the nineteen sixteen rising in Ireland where using radio as a way to declare yourself as a nation is very much as the twentieth century way and so I I really that kind of solidified my interest in radio as a social tool, as a political tool. And so when I started in university in 1993, uh, I knew that we had just, uh, there'd been a change of government. Uh, a local politician who's now our uh, our president, Michael D. Higgins, had become broadcasting minister. And he was a left-wing politician, sympathetic to uh, non-commercial uh, broadcasting, to uh, to uh, to community interests in a way that the previous centre right government had not been. So they'd licensed all these commercial stations. I had an inkling that there there would be a space for for student radio, and so I approached the students' union. We worked together. We worked with the with sympathetic staff in the university. Sean McKeever, who is a head of the audiovisual services at the university, had facilitated uh, some short-term one-week stations for what here is rag week kind of a a, a college week uh, celebration uh, midway through the year and so uh, we worked uh, to apply for for a full-time license and it took us uh, about 18 months to get the license and then almost another year to to go on air um which was you know quick enough when you when you when you think about it um Ends up, you know, you're you're held together by spit and uh, and bailing wire, but uh, but it you know it worked, um, and so yeah, that that was 1995, uh, and I was station manager for the first year, um, took a year out of my studies, and then went back and completed studies uh, after that, and and you know handed over uh, management to to other students who again took a year out or had just completed their studies and and so on. And Andrew, what was your model for student radio at that time? How did you know that? Uh, what did you know about college radio? Not a lot. Um, I should say, you know, a lot of people will will you know point me towards uh, you know uh, um, uh, movies about uh, college radio or like I can't watch them. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason they they put sure. me on edge when i when i see uh, uh movies about college radio either because they're they're either too true to life or they're, they're or they're not um i knew that uh i suppose um the what what we what we used as our model was very much a democratic model of of access this was about voice about about people having access to the airwaves um and and also using radio as a tool for social change for cultural change um so when when i arrived at the university and when i was first involved there were some people who uh, were semi professional dj's and who you know they they felt that if there was going to be a college radio station it should be theirs they should uh, that that you should run the station with people who you know really knew their music, really knew their 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 tech, um, and it should be a small group. And you bring in other people as as audio, you know, as interviewees or the like. That's not the model that we've used. Paul is. I, I don't know if Paula mentioned the sorts of numbers uh, that she trains each year, but you get hundreds of stations. We've had thousands of, or sorry, hundreds of students each year. Thousands of students since the station began. Uh, 
going on air, uh, getting essentially ownership of the mix- mixing desks themselves, and that you know, there's screw ups, there's there's uh, weird noises and the like. But our model uh, from the very beginning was that notion that anybody can do radio and anybody should be able to do radio, um, and that's one of the things when I was. Uh, station manager that I was quite proud of that you would get people who came in saying I'm really fascinated by this but I couldn't do it and some of those people went on then to do it to you know they spent a little bit of time overcoming anxiety overcoming their their fears of doing radio or being near radio and going on air and one of the other things that we spent time doing with our uh, current affairs program programming our public affairs programming uh, was what Paul has talked about, uh, bringing in community groups. Uh, some of the first radio that I did myself uh, during, we had some short-term licenses, as I said, in the in the run-up to, to gaining our full-time uh, broadcast license. We, we brought in um, indie music artists. We brought in the Rib Crisis Centre. We brought in uh, local uh, activists for disability rights, for... Uh, for a slew of other uh, other groups, so groups that wouldn't necessarily make their way onto broadcasting, or groups that were you know small, or that you know um, that that had a story to tell and story yeah. and something that would kind of show the variety of of a- life in in Galway. A- Andrew O'Boyle, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering though, it, was there a was there another model of radio that you were? Um, how did you know that this would work? Did, was was there an example that you could hear or or that you knew about? <laughs> um, well, so in the run up, uh, what what we did, what we did get, so we we didn't have college radio in Ireland to look at, other than these short term stations which were being run on on this kind of you know festival radio basis. And um, what we did have was we had uh, the Ireland had a small tradition of community radio. And community radio activism, um, affiliated with uh, AMARC, the World Association of Community Radio. Um, and prior to entering university, I wasn't uh, familiar with this particular uh, strand. But that they're founded out of largely out of Canada, of course, where they have a, a long tradition here. Australia has a long tradition in it. Um, they had run their nineteen ninety conference in Dublin. Um, and so that was, uh, and so there were, um, uh, there were stations in Ireland that were, when we looked for our license, um, there were other st- groups across the country in urban and rural settings who were similarly doing that. And some of the staff at the university who helped mentor us, uh, staff involved with the, uh, some of the new Irish language, um, uh, broadcast training programs that the state that the university had had uh, set up around that time, um, were were involved were were coming out of that uh, community radio background, and so that's something where we uh, where they helped um, me- yeah, mentor us uh, around that broader tradition. What there was, and one other thing to mention that uh, I suppose is, is yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to, you had mentioned the temporary radio licenses and the festival radio in Ireland, mm-hmm. which is something that we don't have in the United States. And, and when I visited, I was intrigued by that because it seemed like there were a number of college radio stations in Ireland who had these sorts of licenses where they 
only broadcast maybe once a year. So could you just explain mm-hmm. a bit more about this idea of temporary licenses? Sure. So the uh, in the uh, in the original broadcasting legislation of the you know eighty eight ninety, uh, what they introduced was the concept that uh, you could get a license for fourteen days a year, and so you could broadcast for fourteen days. Um, and the idea was that I, I think they were thinking of it as a, as festival radio. So you would get your local uh, your local village or your local town might decide for their their summer festival to put on a radio station, and so it would be it would kind of provide a, a little like traffic radio for for your summer festival. Uh, you know, you'd be able to do events listings and uh, and a co program of it. Um, and so the main people to use that. Uh, in the early days, were colleges, were 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 universities and colleges, which would run one week mid mid year or two weeks, one uh, during the the first week of the of the year and another in the early spring. Um, in Galway, that had been done for for a while, and and we uh, with the with the spring, and we int- we brought it up to twice a year, and that pro- provided a way to build a volunteer base. It's it's you know, and a lot of listeners may have the experience of being involved in a in a community or volunteer effort uh, you know I know Paul's been involved with this where you're you're spending time trying to build a station and you've got several years perhaps of no radio happening and it's very difficult to do so it it really helped us to be able to say look we're building towards this it may be a few years it may never happen in the meantime here's a way to think towards february think towards september and how we can work towards that. Uh, that has been expanded in the time since. Uh, there's a, it's a much longer time period. You can you can do it for now. I forget the exact number. Paula may may remember. But what uh, now you've got uh, several of the student groups in Dublin. Dublin, despite being our largest city, or maybe because it's our largest city, does not have a full time broadcast student radio station. Uh, there's there's a few issues. There's a shortage of uh, of uh, citywide uh, frequencies in the city, so so it's difficult to see how you would get a, a station that would cover the entire city. Um, and we have uh, four universities in this inside the city city area, and you've got student groups at each of them which want a station. Uh, and so there have been attempts over the years to negotiate uh, between them to you know put together amalgams of uh, proposals. Uh, that hasn't come to fruition. But what has happened is that the different student groups have applied for short-term licenses that dovetail with each other. And so you'll get one station having running for a few weeks or or the like, then another, and so it'll be you know one university stu- for a while, then the next, and so you can kind of work together in, in providing a student radio experience w- without having you know a full time radio license. And I should say, uh, in, I think now the, uh, the the broadcast regulator sees these short term licenses explicitly as a pilot. Uh, as as a way to pilot before you go go for a full time license. So if you're a community group, and you're saying we want a full time license, and you've never done a short term station, they'll say, mm, try a week, see how you do. Try a, try a month and see if you want to do it on a longer term basis. And that I think it's it's useful. What, it, one thing it, that occurs to me because yeah, yeah. 
Oh, it, it seems like putting to um, go through all that work of building an FM station and only have it for a week. It's it's hard for me to imagine what that's like <clears throat> uh, to go through that effort and only have it for a week or two. <laughs> It, it, it's, I suppose it's, in, in yeah, the case of uh, stations, mm-hmm. sorry, I was going to say the stations that do it, like there's, there's Trinity and there's Griff and loads of ones in Dublin, they'll probably have the same setup from year to year. And in fact, I think they do. So um, I'm thinking there's maybe like six or seven. Some of them do a bit of on, on air. Some of them do a bit of FM. It's kind of hard to track from year to year, but I think they're using the same equipment. And um, I know I was talking to some of the stations that were saying it's a bit heartbreaking to have to file the paperwork every year for starters. You're listening to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reesmandel. Also joining me are my co-hosts, Jennifer Waits and Eric Klein. And today we're talking about Flirt FM, a radio station at the National University of Ireland in Galway, uh, celebrating its 25th anniversary on the air. Uh, and we're talking uh, some about the, that founding time 25 years ago because um, college radio, community radio, that was new in Ireland. Uh, and the airways had only recently opened up to commercial broadcasting after being uh, effectively monopolized uh, by the public service broadcaster RTE in Ireland. And uh, you know, on the heels of, of commercial radio hitting the airwaves, uh, there became the possibility to have uh, community and college radio. So we're learning a lot more about uh, uh, what radio is like in Ireland with our guest, Andrew O'Boyle. He is a lecturer at... Uh, the National University of Ireland in Galway and the founder of the radio station when he was a student there in the 1990s. And we also have Paula Healy, who is the station manager of uh, Flirt FM. And, and we were we were talking about something uh, pretty interesting, and, and it's, it's a phenomenon uh, that we do not have in the United States, uh, which is this sort of festival temporary license uh, for a radio station where, uh, you know, you can go on the air for a couple of weeks in a in a given year uh temporarily and, and andrew noted that that at this point they've expanded it in ireland and 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 in fact they sort of look at it as 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 a pilot uh that that if an organization or a college uh would like to go on the air perhaps they should try having this temporary uh license first um before committing to a, a full-time schedule which 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 actually sounds amazing to yeah, me except but, jennifer you noted that, that you have to equip up yeah who to, who builds the station that you then only use for two weeks yeah but so so paula maybe you know it seems like you have some experience there and can kind of tell us you know are, are folks i mean do they, are they passing around transmitters <laughs> how does that all work um surprisingly enough they're not actually passing around transmitters i think what they're doing is that they're just leaving them there from one year to the next with the equipment um so i know off the top of my head because i'm probably the biggest nerd about Irish student radio right now and uh-huh. I seem to be the only person that's following it. Uh, there's stations like Ballyfermot College of Further Education and Griff FM and DIT Radio Society and who else is like even uh, Trini- or Mars FM in Maynooth as well just outside of Dublin. Trinity FM and um, who else have we got like Dublin Business School and there's someone in Tala. There's there's a couple, there's just pockets of them up there. So they'd be running every now and again. There's Belfield FM in UCD and DCU FM as well. So they're they're all a huge mix. Like some of some of them are taking the one week license. Some of the other ones are in house only, um, because they're not allowed to broadcast outside. Some of them are online Paula, only and, Paula, what's in house yeah. in Ireland? Oh my just like a closed loop. They're actually just broadcast around campus and that's it because the the college might be a little bit worried about um 
insurance and libel and defamation, etc. So, uh, uh, and is that on the actual airwaves? Is that like an AM or FM broadcast, but just on it's, campus? It's, just on campus, so it's like I think that they were aiming for something else. But um, the likes of Trinity FM, um, I know them best because they come down and visit us every year. They just uh, they run for um, two weeks, like a broadcast week in semester one and semester two, and they they say that the most difficult thing would probably be writing the paperwork. Um, but the temporary license, as well as Andrew mentioned, it's uh, it's turned into a pilot license that community radio stations can apply for, and you can do up to a hundred days, which to some stations would be every weekend bar two. So that actually could be quite useful. That would mean you'd be a weekend radio station for the year. That could actually be as much as some communities want to do. I love the idea, frankly, of of a temporary radio station uh, because I think that very often there are, you know, under the monopoly model, right, that you monopolize a single frequency, there are stations – both commercial and non-commercial, I think, that actually struggle to fill all of those 24 hours a day with meaningful programming. And that's where, at least in the United States, you know, I think you see stations fill it up mostly with, you know, with basically a jukebox, right? With, with you know, uh, automated playlists that, that may be interesting and maybe more, you know, and some stations may be more interesting than others, but but not actually helmed by human because in some ways when you have a license assigned to you 24 seven, um, you know, you are sort of obligated to fill that time, especially if you want listeners to come back, um, on a regular basis, but there may be small organizations, uh, that, that, that barely have the resource really to fill that time with live humans or, or at least with, with live human produced programming, even if it's, if it's pre-recorded. And, and I would love to see a model in, in, in a place like the United States or anywhere where, where, where essentially uh, licenses could be shared much more so, where uh, time could be traded and, and folks could go on maybe for those 100 days or for weekends or whatever, and someone else could take the time uh, for, for other places. It, it, it seems to me you could actually increase the diversity of the airwaves um, without that. But, but of course, when, when you're assigned a single frequency, uh, you know, I, I think in many ways you, you are really obligated to use it and, and for the organization's uh, community radio or college radio or or commercial radio uh, that are in the in the place to fill the majority of those hours with original programming like Flirt FM is, uh, you know, it's great for that to, to be there. It, it just seems that often uh, it, it's, it's sort of uh, it's sort of like real estate. You wonder, you know, why, why couldn't you put more people onto that plot of land? There is one instance of that in the country, actually, that mm. I can I can identify. Uh, Wired FM, that's based in uh, Mary Immaculate College and LIT in Limerick, they run during the week on 99.9 FM, which is a great frequency. But on the weekends, Limerick City Community Radio take over. So they're actually the first ones I can think of that have actually shared a frequency in Ireland and do it, reg- do it regularly. Um, as for the actual frequencies that get, get allocated, they're such small areas. They might only be like a, a 5 to 15 kilometre radius. So sharing a frequency wouldn't necessarily be an issue because they're not really going to overlap each other but uh, it's interesting to see that there is the model there and it could be it could be replicated Paula how do do they divide up the dial for these temporary licenses is it um, the same spot on the dial every year Um, how does that work I suppose in a lot of cases because there wouldn't have been any other new stations coming on stream because again there's probably only 40 or 50 
uh, licensed stations in the country anyway, it's up to Comreg, the communications regulator, to say what frequency allocation you get. For instance, we started off on 105.6 and when we went for our new license in 2006, I think, we got moved to 101.3. We were like, oh God, we're, that was a surprise for us. But by and large, you will actually just end up being able to default back to the same frequency. There are some of the temporary broadcasters and some of them in geographically difficult areas like Connemara, where it's very hilly and mountainous and there's lots of sheep. You get two frequencies because you can't cover... Um, you know wow. your particular franchise area, so it's it's done by the communications regulator. But that I would say that um, probably unlike Dublin, um, the rest of the country is not as jammed uh, for the you know the frequencies. You're not as uh, not as precious about having to allocate uh, bandwidth to people. And for those you know listening who who are familiar with the American system, it's it's very different. You know, unlike uh, if you're applying for an uh, LPFM license in states where you have to go out, do the engineering work and propose the frequency in Ireland, it is very much you apply, you know, the the, the broadcast regulator says there is a, um, a proven social or economic need for the station. Uh, you tender for that, and then the the telecommunications regulator, a separate regulatory body, are the ones who do the engineering work and says, okay, here's where you can go on the dial. So Andrew Boyle, you you, you founded Flirt FM twenty five years ago there in Galway, and and you said you know basically after uh, getting the license grant from the government around nineteen ninety four, it took about a year. Uh, to build the station and get it together, and and I wonder, was that something which which the university funded? Did you fundraise outside the university? How did how did how were you able to do that and and get the resources together to put this uh, station on the air? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was funded by the by the university. Uh, we'd got a commitment from uh, the university and also from a second uh, third level institution. Uh, uh, what's now an uh, an IT an Institute of Technology here in in the city, uh, to collaborate on it. So uh, um, that IT has has since pulled out of the the partnership uh, during the during the uh, recession, uh, and so it's now it's an NUIG only uh, operation. But essentially, the the two university or the university and the IT had uh, split on a two to one basis their financial commitment to support the station uh, in its. Uh, modest uh, capital uh, needs, and then also in its um, in its operations for the first uh, for the first eighteen months or so. So we, uh, I think we got um, uh, t- our, our our funding, our initial capital funding was uh, ten or fifteen thousand pounds, so about twenty thousand uh, dollars to in capital, and then uh, for each year again about fifteen thousand dollars. Uh, uh, running uh, for the for the first year, so you know twenty twenty five thousand dollars for the first eighteen months. So it was you know in relative you know it was in broadcasting terms you know somewhat peanuts. It was a a very uh, shoestring operation, uh, but we were lucky uh, that the two institutions came in there. What happened um, then was that shortly after the so that we 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 got. Our our full time license was part of a pilot of community radio that the broadcasting authority ran, and then we got uh, after some extensions of the pilot period, we got longer term licenses. So now we're operating on uh, something like you know ten year licenses. Um, during that, as that pilot period wrapped up, uh, we did uh, secure fund. We got secured backing from the students' union and from the student body on campus. Uh, so. 
the funding for the station is large largely comes from student capitation. It's a student fee that is charged to all students at the university. Um, and that, so that's a, a self-tax by the student body, which does something in terms of your um, accountability to the student body. You've got to make sure, you know, every so often at, at any institution where a student body taxes itself, you'll get somebody who comes along and says, you know, I could save $5, $20 if we got rid of this or if we trimmed that. Um, so you've got to make sure as a, as a station uh, that you have that legitimacy, that you have that uh, buy-in across the organization. Um, and so, you know, in, in blunt terms, uh, it 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 helps to ensure that you are embedded in the community, uh, whether or not you are, you know, in nominal terms, a community station. But having that notion of uh, of you know the the students' union knows that you're a way uh, to organize and reach the student body. Uh, those who are involved in different types of sports on campus know that this is a, a way to get information about uh, about news about uh, sports. Those who are involved in in student drama knows here's a place where you can try some avant garde projects. And so, uh, so it's something that we you know it was we were lucky to get that funding source because the university only had so much. Um, uh, uh, sympathy or so much uh, uh, interest in, in funding us on a long-term basis uh, and so the fact that we had allies within the students union and within the uh, student um, community uh, who who pushed uh, the referendum and then the the, the funding package for us uh, was something that helped secure our long-term uh, stability. So the, that student support and community support that's so important today if you think back to 25 years ago, Andrew, did you have mm-hmm. to convince the university, did you have to convince university officials that it was valuable to have a radio station? What was that process like beyond the money? Uh, I know that sometimes yeah. college radio stations have an incredibly difficult time at convincing administrators that it's worth having a radio station. So it's a split, right? Because they... You know, administrators are uh, they're they're a single entity, but also they're they're individuals inside of that. So we had I mentioned earlier Sean McIver, who had been involved in the local uh, broadcasting efforts uh, run by RTE in the in the early eighties, who was involved in running a long running uh, magazine for the blind. Uh, out of the university, so had sympathy for this uh, community effort, sympathy for broadcasting and student broadcasting. Um, he worked with us, and another uh, sympathetic figure was the one of the vice presidents of the university, who uh, had spearheaded a lot of community initiatives. So they secured nominal backing initially, and but um, uh, there was a lot of reticence. Uh, particularly on those who were responsible for balancing the books. Um, and so uh, we had to work hard to secure the funding, to get the checks that were promised to actually end up in our bank account, uh, to get the uh, university to provide the space. You know, more, you say, you know, beyond the money. You know, the thing that's more difficult to get hold of on a university campus than money is space, is, bu- is building space. And so they didn't have a space to put us in. And so they uh, they ended up having to build a you know a, a cinder block 
box for us to, to put our, our, our studios in. And that cost additional money they didn't want to spend. Um, but we did eventually uh, get that. And so I think the first, and, you know, Paul, you know, can, can, speak or 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 not to the you know to the period that followed it it often is 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 fraught and and we've seen in the in the states right you've seen uh, out of san francisco out of uh, houston uh, lots of cities where you've had stations disappear because universities see them as just a hassle and not necessarily something that um contributes to their bottom line however they define it whether that be financial or rankings or uh, pulling in alumni yeah, well, support sure. Andrew O'Boyle I want to take that uh, as an opportunity to ask Paula Healy about um, Andrew O'Boyle you founded Flirt FM 25 years ago which is uh, one of the one of the first college radio stations in Ireland uh, with that had volunteer community voices on the air on a on a sanctioned college radio station. And Polly Healy, you're Flirt FM's station manager. I wonder, you're in a unique opportunity to sort of explain to the Radio Survivor audience um, where you've come in 25 years. It's, it's, it's a long time to be on the air, but it's also a, a relatively shorter time compared to, you know, the span of radio culture in your country. So, so uh, what is the place of college radio now in, in your community? Uh, well, talking about the span of while I've been there, I've basically been on a one-woman charm offensive to try and bring as many people in the university on board as possible. And I'm just really trying so hard to just prove how useful we are, how resourceful we are, all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so so college radio, is it's so young compared to the, some of the stations I was talking to over World College Radio Day. They've been there for 60 years and I'm like, we're babies. Um, but I think the place of college radio is... There's so many things that are coming up and that run from year to year to year, but they're they're ephemeral and they disappear, whereas the college radio stations are there year on year. Now, the ones that are part-time or temporary may have different managers, but the three student radio stations that have managers, they are some of the only things in the university that are a constant when it comes to student activities and extracurricular. And we're not going to disappear. Um, you know, if you check out any of our social media feeds or if you come in and listen to the news headlines, that you're going to get what you expect or what you need. And that's something that was particularly noted during um, the start of the lockdown when people couldn't travel more than two kilometres from their houses. We found that um, we had more listeners than ever because they realised, oh, the, the college radio station is one of the few things that could keep going. Everything else was closed down, but we were recording um, news bulletins. We're doing stuff live from our kitchen. I'm doing this live from my kitchen right now. So that's that's a huge thing that college radio stations have. Um, it is just the fact that they're still there and we'd be there with like the college newspapers as well. But um, we run throughout the summer as well. We take a, b- a bit of time off for August and uh, exam times at, at you know Christmas or whatever it is. But um, it was definitely remarked upon that we kept going when literally nothing else did and nothing else did. And, um, you know, it's nice to see that after years of struggling and trying to say, like, listen, we, we are important. We are essential service. We do what we can. We bring in as many people as we can. Uh, we got on the 25th anniversary, apropos nothing, didn't know what was going to happen, got a beautiful letter from the university president who really, really said, 
we noticed that you kept broadcasting. We noticed that you were taking some of our webinars and rebroadcasting them because they were full of good research information. And thank you so much for doing that. And then one of our volunteers contacted the president of Ireland and he sent us down a lovely letter as well, uh, which is gorgeous because he was um, the minister at the time. Michael D. Higgins was minister at the time who actually started off community radio. He opened the station in 1995 or 96. He came back in 2009 when we restarted uh, in the new building. And then he sent us this beautiful letter. So it's just, you know, after six very difficult months where we're trying to stay there and grit our teeth and hold on by our fingernails to make sure that we could keep going when it's been very difficult. And, you know, I haven't I haven't like broke down in tears, but I've been like definitely grinding my teeth more than usual. But to get that after the end of that just says, do you know what? People were listening and they appreciate it and they know how much work everybody put in, um, you know, staff, volunteers alike and all the people that were guesting and stuff. So that's something that just really says, you know what, college radio is still so important. Well, that's a wonderful sentiment there uh, to kind of close things up here in our discussion about Flirt FM, which is the community and college uh, radio station at the National University of Ireland in Galway. Uh, you just heard from Paula Healy, the station manager for the station, Flirt FM. And we've also been talking to the founder of the station, now a lecturer at the university, Andrew O'Boyle. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on Radio Survivor. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. So Paula, when I visited back in... 2009. Wow, there's an anniversary of that. 11 years ago, um, there was a couch you warned me not to sit on because it probably had <laughs> swine flu in it. Um, think about it how was... think about how far we've come, and now in the middle of COVID. So, I mean, you've been through this before. Um, obviously, you, you've been through swine flu at the station. So, I'm just curious how how you guys are handling broadcasting with the station being closed. Oh, so it's it's definitely been a learning curve. The a couple of things we thought of before, we were fortunate in that we'd been using the program Clean Feed for our outside broadcasts in advance. So it meant that we weren't that we weren't just landing on having to remote in. And I'd also been using various things like um, AnyDesk and we settled on Zoho Assist. So I'm actually using that as remote software to see all the screens in studio. So the last thing I did before I switched off the lights was made sure both the faders in studio one were up so that whatever went through the computer was going to air. And then next of all, that um, all the machines we needed would have Zoho Assist on them. But it was very difficult. It was incredibly daunting. That was the lowest point, I think, when somebody from the university, very, very high up in the university, rang and said, you will not be able to get back into your building because it's being rented by the health service executive and they be, may be using it as a field hospital. They actually took out the, the carpet and put in lino flooring and they had showers and they've installed sinks that basically at Whoa. any point again, if, if everything was terribly wrong, our building reverts to being a field hospital, oh my which God. is dramatic and shocking. Yeah, I think like when they rang me up and said, you do realise that you may not get back into your station for months and months. That was definitely the toughest bit. But um we were at least able to go in and reboot the machines a couple of months ago. That was helpful because, you know, Windows does not enjoy not being updated. <laughs> um, you know, I think it took about three hours to update the machines at that point. But um, yeah, so what we're doing is it's it's low tech, but we're using Zoom because people understand it. The people that are a bit more adept at um, broadcasting, they'll have USB mics and they'll have little desks and they might have USB interfaces or whatever it might be. And they can go live using CleanFeed or something like that. But everybody else is just using Zoom and we're patching it into studio and they're going live. And it is, it's hairy. 
it isn't always uh, the best audio in the world ever, but I think it's more important for people to continue to broadcast live than it is for us to have amazing quality. I think everybody understands right now. Yeah, Paula, it's a sentiment I, we've heard from a lot of different stations uh, right. as well. I wonder that, that I wonder if to be Paula, able to do it imperfectly is better than uh, than not to do it at all. I, I'd love to hear Paula Healy say more about um, how the radio stations knitting the community together during during social distancing. And do do I understand it correctly that that Ireland is still is still practicing uh, a kind of a lockdown, or are you in a different? You know, we here in the United States have such a um, a chaotic patchwork of lockdown and not lockdown, depending on what city or state you're in. Um, how are, are, are you guys, what's going on? So um, we still haven't had our building be opened yet. It's been open um, sporadically for orientation and freshers week, but uh, we're technically not allowed to go in unless we put in a specific access request, which needs to be for a very good reason. So um, I think one of the biggest things we did over the course of the time realising that we couldn't get into the building was we went, we need to build a community on the radio. So one of the things that worked really, really well was we started doing a community takeover where we said any member of the community, whether you've been trained in or not, Ah. whether you're a student or not, you can basically send us in a playlist, send us in some uh, some voice memos on WhatsApp because surprisingly WhatsApp is one of the better quality recorders that everybody has to hand. And they sent us in their bits and some people did shows about um, resistance and rage and about like, you know, uh, the 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 system and Rage Against the Machine that kind of thing. Then other people just said I, these are these are all of the gigs we were supposed to go to this summer and I'm heartbroken about. So they just sent in their audio clips and it was a lot of work. It was like maybe three or four hours per two hour show to, for a breakfast show. But that was amazing that people were like, I never thought I'd be able to get on air. And now more than ever, um, this is amazing that I'm on it. And they've had people listening from all over the world and their granny has listened to it on Mixcloud. But then we had also people as well that were in the university, but were isolating. But it may have been two miles, three kilometres down the road, but couldn't leave the house. They were still able to do a show and have their friends listen into it. So I think that was a huge thing, um, was just letting people know that from the community, you could still be heard, still have your voice heard. And um, I think the biggest thing now is just getting the teams back together. Some teams have been recording over Zoom. Audio quality is okay, but it's been nice that they've still been able to keep up with each other, collaborate on playlists and send in links together and stuff as well. So that's been that's been pretty important, I think. And a huge thing we, we focused on as well was not being doom and gloom. We just decided we will cover whatever's happening in the news headlines, but we're not going to go on about COVID all day, every day. The most of the way we represented it was we took um, lectures that places like the Moore Institute in the university had organised between lecturers, health exe- health experts, um, PhD students. So the information that they were getting was really well thought out and it was decent information that was not scaremongering. So that's the kind of stuff we covered. So it meant there was a focus point of where you would get COVID coverage, but it wasn't going to be, it's awful, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I feel terrible. Okay. We're all going to hell in a handbasket. Okay. There was none of that. There was none of the doom and gloom. It was just like, here's the science. Here's the headlines. Outside of that, we're just going to do what we can to let you know that we're here and that we're part of a community together. Paula, I listened to a bit of World College Radio Day, which I know Flirt FM was part of their marathon, their 24-hour marathon. Did you have a particular goal in mind for uh, the type of programming that you wanted to air during that marathon to the world? Um, I think it was more just that NUI Goi Radio Sock um, volunteered for it ages ago, nearly before COVID was actually a thing. And um, we just let them off an air and we said, OK, do some Irish music, represent the city, let people know what Go is like, because they've heard um, probably songs like called 
you know, Galway Bay or Galway Girl or whatever, but what do they know beyond that? But the, the two volunteers were so excited about it being their first time on air for seven, seven months. I had to be like, speak slowly, take breaths, maybe breathe a little. OK, come back after the song and remind people where they're listening to. They were they were just like hyper kids. They were just so happy to be Fun. back on air. So I think that was the biggest thing that came from it. And it was really nice to listen to Limerick um, doing the show as well. And in between, I think Edinburgh was in between. So it was a Scottish sandwich. It was quite nice. Uh, I want to ask our guests, uh, I want to ask Paul, especially this is ridiculous, but Radio Survivor airs on your radio station, correct? It does. Wednesdays at 3 p.m. our time, what? yes. Uh, how how are we received in Galway, may I ask? What do people think of, uh, yeah, I mean, is there any <laughs> is there any indication at all that... Uh, that there's an audience for or for for our uh, strange brand of celebrating uh, community radio, mostly in North America. I will say there there have been a, there have a, there's been a couple of episodes where I've gone. I'm not sure if people will understand this or get this <laughs> as much as I do. So I've maybe like cherry picked where if we haven't been able to play an episode, I might skip ahead to the next week where I'll go. Okay, everybody will get this. Yeah, I can say I can say. However, um, the person who was doing the show before you on the 25 hour marathon, uh, he stayed listening even though he had to work the next day. And he was like, "This is fascinating. I'm so interested in everybody talking about radio stuff." When uh, when Paul was on. And I just kind of went, you do know there's a podcast for that. And you should maybe have a listen. And he goes, this, I can listen to more radio stuff every week. And I was like, yes. And he'd never heard it before. But he was he was just, he hadn't volunteered for six years. And he was so interested in it. So well, it, just go, it just goes to show. Flirt FM, you have your own show that also uh, covers, uh, you know, the world of broadcast from, from, from a more Irish perspective, wireless on Flirt FM, correct? Right. One one of my favourite shows, and John is one of my favourite people to have volunteered in the radio station the last couple of years. I think his husband's probably ruined the day he found a radio station to get involved with, because uh, he's a radio nut too. But it's phenomenal, and I think it's something that really isn't covered that much. There's another podcast called uh, Off Message with Pat O'Mahony that comes back every now and again that covers media in Ireland. Mm. But it's only when Wireless and that podcast came up, I went, that's what I was missing. I was missing that something that actually covered local media, that covered media from my country where I might have listened in on FM or whatever it might have been. So John is amazing. The amount of work he puts into it is phenomenal. And um, I'm always looking out for bits and pieces of interviews that I can help him out with. But um, he's podcasting it. It's available everywhere you want to listen uh, or whatever it is. And um, yeah, just the work he puts into it is astounding. And I'm so happy that it's been picked up by a lot of other community radio stations in the country as well. And um, I know that uh, he was delighted to have featured on Radio Survivor before in his guise as pirate.ie in the pirate archives. Oh yeah, what it was wonderful to have him on. And 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 wireless, Andrew, am I correct did did, did you start that show when you were on at the station or am I misremembering? Yeah, I think you may be misremembering. Okay. We did uh, we did do various media pieces there, but no, the the that show is 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 all John and uh, coming out of uh, what I would say is that John is uh, his background includes uh, some of the other early precursors of uh, of community radio here in Ireland, uh, including, uh, I think, uh, Radio Nalifa, um, uh, which is an Irish-language uh, community of interests uh, station. I, th- I think, as Paul notes, it, it may have a different designation now, but that's, it, it's, it's, you know, it's aimed at Irish-language speakers in the largely Anglophone uh, Dublin city. 
Um, and he also has a background, of course, uh, with uh, with pirate radio in Ireland, which was uh, the only uh, way to you know get access to to the airways as an individual um, prior to you know uh, out, outside of uh, RT, you know, state run RT or state owned RT. Uh, until until the early 1990s uh so so he does uh, bring uh, uh interest in and experience with uh, those other precursors of uh of what led to uh community of interest college stations like uh like Flirt Fem as well as uh, licensed community radio uh, here in Ireland and and importantly as well he's an absolute gentleman who will translate mm-hmm. anything we need into Irish yeah. accurately so wow. that I don't get given out to for mis mistranslating anything uh, he actually he <coughs> translated our, our wall planner this year which and he's translated our website for us all that sort of thing so uh, yeah that's he's a, wonderful he's a good he's a good ally to have you know it's interesting is that um I try to keep track of all of the radio programs that are at least somewhat about radio, uh, at least in English. Although I do try to try to, to the best of my ability, look look for ones uh, in other languages as well. And and you know certainly wireless is one of, is one of the stalwarts and, and is in longstanding and and um, it's wonderful uh, to be sort of comrades in 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 the endeavor. And 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 we we are so I think I can speak for all three of us to say that we. We consider it a tremendous uh, privilege, and we're very honored to have a place on the Flirt FM airwaves. We certainly, every station that chooses to air the program, um, we are honored, and it is a privilege. Uh, but to, to be able to uh, cross the Atlantic, uh, you know, to, to share uh, the love of radio and sound with the, with the people of Galway is, is a, a special pleasure. Um, that is, it is sort of unmatched. So uh, we really, well, really you know, appreciate that you We are delighted to have you. Absolutely delighted to have you on the radio, and um, yeah, I think I need. I need, think I need to like give you guys more Patreon money as well. Oh, <laughs> shush! <laughs> now that I'm saving, now that I'm saving all this money, not going out anymore, not going out to nightclubs. Well, maybe I can actually up my Patreon donation. You know, you know that's wonderful. Uh, first and foremost, you know, yeah, keep, 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 like, I, I, how do I refuse, how do I humbly refuse your donation? It's so sweet. But also, uh, we're on, we're on the podcast and we can, we can actually yeah. allow listeners, uh, to know that, yeah, we have a Patreon, we're a listener supported, uh, program and we do appreciate your support. We give, we give our Patreon supporters, um, uh, special content now and again, but for the most part, our Patreon supporters are there for us, uh, knowing that, that we we put out this radio program every week. It goes out to radio stations all around the world uh, for free. Uh, no radio station pays us to air Radio Survivor, so your support uh, goes a really long way to help us keep going. Uh, and thank you. And occasionally, uh, that special content arrives in the mail or post from uh, from us as well. So we do we do sometimes go uh, truly fully analog. Well, hello, everybody. This is Eric Klein, your radio editor uh, today, um, coming to you 24 hours uh, or so after we recorded our interview with our friends at Flirt FM here. And here on the podcast edit, as we're rounding out at the conclusion of the show, I just wanted to uh, share a little bit of bonus content with you. It's not going to be up behind our Patreon paywall uh, sometimes we put together some very special content for our patrons, for the people that subscribe to Radio Survivor on the patron platform, Patreon platform. And if you want to find out more about uh, giving to Radio Survivor, please do go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. 
our friends at Flirt FM sent us a link to their uh, air check archive of the first broadcast of Flirt FM. And I thought it's very nice. And our guest today, Andrew O'Boyle, is featured on this piece of tape from 1995. And I, I, I'd be, um, I have to share it on the podcast. I'm going to share a, about a slightly less than two-minute clip. Uh, there's a lot more on Patreon. Not There's a lot more on Mixcloud of the material. And um, you can listen to the whole thing if you go to the show notes for today's episode of Radio Survivor. Uh, and I'm sure there will be a link there. I'll make sure there's a link at the show notes. And then stay tuned after that uh, short clip. I have another bit of uh, special special material from today's podcast that I want to share. And we want to have a good time. And that's what we're going to do. Well, wait, baby, let's go. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a party. This is Flirt FM on 105.6, Radio Accomplished Nagalieve. I'm Andrew Wheel and this is where it's at. Uh, you're listening to an introductory broadcast for Flirt FM. Uh, with me now is Keith Wallace, who's a DJ. Keith, what do you intend to see uh, this station blossoming as in the years ahead? Well, hopefully it'll give the uh, student base of Galway a chance to uh, experiment with radio and maybe almost get a, an introduction to the world of broadcasting. Do you, do you, how would you, how would you feel of the viewpoint that, that perhaps um, the, well radio is not the place to, to learn about broadcasting? Well, I think it is because it's um, the fact that Fertifem is a student-based station means that uh, students can get as much experience as they need to um, by the fact that there's a policy where they can run their own programs by just submitting an application form and uh, get experience with presenting, DJing, uh, operating mi- mixing desks. Etc. And what do you see yourself doing? Um, well, I think I'm going to be uh, DJing and presenting a show, um, a kind of alternative music show, apparently. Yes, um, you're, you're big in the alternative music world here in Galway. Um, well, I like listening to it, yeah. <laughs> Modesty. Well, again, that was, uh, that was the air check of the 25-year-old uh, first day of Flirt FM, and you can listen to the whole thing. Go to the show notes for today's episode at radiosurvivor.com. This is episode number 266. Well, uh, up next on the podcast, I'm going to share with you uh, a brief conversation that took place prior to the interview, prior to the recording of our entire episode. We sort of accidentally in the warm-up that we all do to get our microphones and our voices and our internet connections all synchronized and ready to to record an interview for about an hour. Um, I stumbled on a piece of, um, you know, it's not news so much as uh, public affairs information relevant to my Radio Survivor audience, and I want to share it with you. Back on August 12th, on episode number 258, we had Dr. Christopher Terry on the program uh, to talk about, um, well, wow, doesn't that feel like another lifetime ago? To talk about the uh, the Trump FCC and what's going on with net neutrality, um, to talk about the, the looming specter of the fairness doctrine, that's what the title 
of the episode is. Um, it feels like another lifetime. One of the things we stumbled upon with that conversation was a aspiration among uh, media-minded people in America, in the United States, that there should be educational programming to fill a lot of the gap that's taking place for students, younger students, older students, so many uh, so many disruptions to their routine, to their learning, and in a country like the United States, just just the, just the idea that we didn't put public television up on the airwaves uh, that that people were sort of left to fend for themselves, and you know, parents with the internet knew where to go, knew which websites to click into for their kids to get some uh, you know televised educational content, but so many people were um, you know. You know, we didn't have uh, we didn't have an organized response to the pandemic in the United States back in the spring of 2020, uh, nor at the beginning of uh, the school semester in the fall. But and we talked about that on Radio Survivor with Christopher Terry about what it might have what might have been possible in the United States, what kind of efforts uh, we could have made with public media. Uh, to to bend its mission towards educating uh, the students who are not able to uh, attend in person school, uh, what was possible, and it was all of you know uh, a beautiful dream because politically that was never on the table <laughs> apparently, and uh, lo and behold, in our warm up conversation with our guests at Flirt FM, we found out from Andrew O'Boyle uh, that that exact thing uh was organized in moments in mere moments by the um by the good people that work in public television in ireland so i'm going to share that uh, it's about seven minutes of andrew boyle telling us here at radio survivor about how ireland uh, made public television for its socially distanced students schools in ireland are open for 100 percent in-person instruction and our uh and and that's our uh, government's priority is schools will remain open no matter what. Um, they, they, you know, there's a multi-level plan. Uh, everything shuts down except schools. Like for kids, have they been in school the entire time? No, uh, we shut in mid March, and uh, and they were shut, and they were out for the remainder of the academic year. Then, which ends the end of June for elementary level here. Um, and so, yeah, so I was like two and a half we two and a half months out, um, no, three and a half months, and uh, and so the the government said that won't happen again. Now they've <laughs> said many other things won't happen, and so we, I think they they they, they may have to backtrack, but uh, but yeah, they've uh, they, what we actually had, which I found very impressive, our national. Um, our national broadcaster here, RTE, uh, launched a a TV series uh, of homeschool homeschooling TV series, uh, an hour in the morning with four different uh, lessons, and then half an hour in the afternoon where they would have children send in short videos of themselves. You don't say, it, yeah. Yep. One of one of them is one of our old volunteers, Andrew. Oh, which one? It was Ray Moonshore. Ray was like he used to do a show with us. 
I did not know that. Yeah, Ray Wignot used to do a show. We uh, we did it. We did an episode of Radio Survivor about what three months ago, where we talked about how that would be impossible in the United States, despite it being useful. <laughs> well, it was amazing. What 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 I found interesting was the three core uh, presenters were all qualified teachers, because of course, you know, in Hollywood, your backup job is. Uh, being a uh, being you know work, working a bar in in Irish uh, film and TV, your backup job is being a substitute teacher, mm-hmm. and so they they just had this your know, list of uh, of teachers ready to go, qualified teachers who would say, now in my own classroom I do it like this, but here's what I'm going to do on TV. So it, I know it went very well, Paula. You 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 probably. Saw some of it here and there, and uh, uh, little bits. Yeah. Not that, not that yeah. I've got any young ones to be distracting yeah. with uh, school in the morning. Well, that's uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, you, uh, it was, it was probably you know, good. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was for a particular audience. It, uh, it, it worked very well. I, uh, I was just, mostly uh, watching yeah. yoga with Adrienne all, all locked out. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we didn't get that to that uh, at our end, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was. You know, they did, they did a nice job. Pretty much did it the way you should. Four lessons, uh, fifteen minutes each, uh, somewhat interactive, um, shifting up the presenters. Um, brought in, um, they, you know, they they brought in differently abled people. They brought in um, uh, sports people and and uh, brought in the national orchestra. Did a lot of different things where it was kind of exposing people to to the sort of variety you you would want to have in that in that sort of programming so i was i was really impressed yeah. because they it seemed they turned it around in a week the, the you know schools closed and a week later they launched this wow and wow. what age range was yeah. it directed at uh lar- largely um probably you know seven seven to twelve it was it was aimed at, it was aimed at you know what what here is primary school goes up to I think you know the beginning of uh, middle school in the states, um, twelve year olds. Um, my younger one, who was five at the time, uh, had just finished uh, what here would be junior kindergarten, and he was towards the young end. He still he enjoyed some of it, but he but he wasn't tar- the target audience. My my eight year old was, and uh, and I, yeah, he got, he got into a lot of it. They they they'd. Um, a comic book, a graphic art, uh, graphic artist, uh, develop a, a, you know, a comic book character over a series of weeks with them. This sort of thing where they just kind of, you know, wow. lots of different, yeah, yeah, Aww. they really kind of, you know, did the core stuff and and then uh, kind of tried to try to do other things. And the the I thought the, the the feedback loop of saying, you know, send us in your artwork, send us in little, essentially TikTok style videos of yourselves, and we'll collate them. They even tried one day a uh, uh, what's called a um, a dance party where they told people what the song would be. Told them dance around your kitchen or living room. Send us a video, and then we'll you know we'll uh, edit it all together with this music over. You know what the new music is going to be, and so uh, they kind of it was a nice way to kind of get wow. them to and, feel I'm not alone. And who made this? Who made this television? What was on the channel before they made this? Is it? Well, I mean, uh, did so this already? I, like, <clears throat> am I asking? A backdoor. Yeah. Uh, I shouldn't take up any more of our time, but I'm kind yeah. of asking a backdoor question. How did this get paid for? Okay, so it was our 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 equivalent of PBS, uh, RT, the the uh, public service broadcaster, um, 
was the entity that's what it went out on but they hired a, an independent production company so the because it was an independent production company they were perhaps somewhat more agile they were able to hire people in on kind of your you're going to be a, an on-air teacher for three weeks, maybe three months. <laughs> um, so they were able to, 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 to do that sort of uh, of thing in a way that the, the broadcaster themselves wouldn't have been able to do in-house. And um, they ran it out, as, out of a school. The schools were closed. So they rented out a few classrooms in a school. And so it was actually, you could see that it actually it had the, you know, the, 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 the you know, artwork by the teacher and the different uh, things it, it 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 you know it looked like a school because it it was Incredible. and then they just set up a camera in it back in in march april and may of 2020 yeah. exactly yeah they, they it was amazing how you know as they the schools closed on a, a thursday afternoon and i think it was either the monday week or maybe if maybe another week but it was it was within a week or two that they had this uh this going on air a, an hour a day well so, I'm, yeah i'm gonna have to make sure to tell christopher terry our guest who was on talking about how hard it was going to mm-hmm. be to to uh to build such a thing <laughs> in the united states uh, in a timely yeah. matter yeah it, it 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 really was i think yeah we're, and we're a little we're, we're smaller that that can help i think well, my thanks again to Andrew O'Boyle, who is the founder and lecturer at NUI Galway and also the um, you know, the founder of Flirt FM 25 years ago, and Paula Healy, Flirt FM station manager. What a delightful time I had today. You know, such a privilege to be able to connect my love for community radio with people all around the globe who also love community radio it's uh it's the highlight of my week to have this opportunity to speak to all these wonderful people who've been guests on Ray Survivor week after week and I thank you so much for allowing me to share it with you I'm glad you were able to tune in today uh, to listen and um, that's all I wanted to say thank you so much we will see you again next week thank you to Paul Reese Mandel who produced today's episode and jennifer waits who's always producing episodes and doing a great job at radio survivor and on behalf of myself and matthew lassar who also works hard at radio survivor all the time uh writing at the website radiosurvivor.com thank you so much for listening you can always subscribe to our podcast for free wherever you get your podcasts uh it's also on radiosurvivor.com slash podcast uh, to listen in browser we are uh, always open to getting email feedback questions about past episodes future episode ideas questions about community radio our email address is podcast at radiosurvivor.com we are also on social media facebook and twitter nope, we will see you here right here same bat time same bat channel next week when we uh, share our love for radio and sound with you, our Radio Survivor audience. Thank you so much for listening.